Welcome to the Saints of City and Me, a podcast delivering audio love letters to and from the city of New Orleans and its New Orleans Saints. I'm one of your hosts, Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mike. This episode, we are absolutely delighted to welcome on board a man who needs no introduction, Jeff Duncan, uh, uh, writer, author, uh, has been covering the Saints for a long time, been in New Orleans for a long time. Jeff, uh, absolutely delighted to have you on. How are you doing? Dan, I'm doing great. Glad to finally uh, hook up on the podcast, and I'm really excited to uh, talk to you guys today. Nah, it's brilliant we, to have you really on, excited Jeff. to have Thank you very on. much. Yeah, I, I suppose um, we'll go down a pathway of obviously different subjects, but I suppose we ought to touch on touch on the Saints. Um, from the, from, you know, we're, we're sort of outside of the bubble as far as, you know, being in the city and, and seeing reactions that way. But obviously in this day and age with social media, I think Saints Twitter this week has uh, has outdone itself. Um, <laughs> it, it's been it's been incredible. It, you have to sort of sometimes you have to just turn away from it because it's you know there are people eating themselves on on Twitter. But from your point of view, Jeff, what do you think is going on at the moment? Obviously, they've had a, a mini break as such to try and you know get together and sort of try, try and correct some things. But in your opinion, what do you think is going on? Well, I tell you, if you're a Saints fan, I would I would be encouraged by what has been coming out of the locker room uh, this week. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to players and coaches, and I really do think this is kind of a tipping point uh, that the team has reached. Uh, it's kind of a do or die, you know, now or never type of week. And I, my column this week is about uh, how the team is the leaders have kind of taken ownership of this situation. Uh, a lot of players meeting on their own, a lot of coaches meeting with players. Uh, there's a real sense of urgency to get the ship righted, and I think that's encouraging. Now, it's got to obviously manifest itself into on-field improvement, but the fact is the team's coming together. It's not splintering and pulling apart. And you know, talking to guys like Tyron Matthew, uh, Cam Jordan, uh, Mike Thomas, you know, these guys have been on a lot of teams over the years, and it can go one way or the other. And I feel like this team is coming together and has a real good chance to get over the hump. And the best news of all, of course, as we all know, is they're in a division where everything's still right in front of them, right? I mean, yeah, no yeah. one's running away with the NFC South. So, if they, you know, you feel like the Saints, if they can just get the Saints right, uh, they'll be okay. And so, really, I think it's more an internal uh, yeah. focus right now of trying to correct some of their mistakes uh, I, you know whether they can get it done or not I don't know but I like the the attitude and the mindset uh, that I, that they're taking into this they're they're facing it really head on yeah yeah I think it's really important and you know to have leaders emerge from it you know obviously we've got the established leaders that we were new were there but these these kind of situations bring other characters up don't they and you really see I don't use phrase phrase cream rises to the top but those leaders those people who've got instinctively can lead people will rise to the occasion they'll they'll pull people through and i think maybe a good example of that not so much a player but was when dennis allen came out and said that ronald curry came out and tried to g the players up at that halftime talk which he normally wouldn't wouldn't do so that shows that the people really want to grab it by the bootstraps and and pull it up and make something make something happen despite all the frustrations from from what's going on on the field. Yeah, look and I think I think this, you know, Drew Brees and Sean Payton were such, you know, generational leaders, right? You know, they they dominated 
this franchise for a decade and a half. And when they left, there was an understandable kind of void, a vacuum. And mm. younger players like Alvin Kamara and Mike Thomas that were they were star players, but they weren't necessarily leaders in the locker room. That was what Drew Drew was such a, a dominant force, and everyone looked up to him as an alpha. They had to kind of find their way as leaders. And I think what's happening is uh, they're they're finding their footing in that area. Uh, Mike Thomas was a guy four or five years ago would never be leading any team, but he's definitely stepped into that uh, position with this team. Now he's now, you know, 30 years old. And uh, I think he realizes people are looking at him, young young receivers like Chris Olave and Rashid Shaheed look to him for guidance. And he's really embraced that role uh, that he probably didn't feel comfortable doing four or five years ago. Mm. So I think it's, mm. I think it's a natural evolution of a team. And if you read a lot of psychology books and business books, I mean, it's very simple. What we're seeing here is a lot of team building. Uh, I think the, the the unusual thing is I think a lot of us thought it would happen sooner than this, maybe yeah. in training camp, right? Or yeah. week two. But the fact that we're almost halfway through the season uh, is a little disappointing, but at least it's, it is happening as opposed to not at all. Yeah. Do you think From on that? Sorry, go on, Dad. I was going to say, Jeff, do you think that I know, Derek Carr's had a lot of pressure or criticism recently. Do you think some of these skill position players are taking it upon themselves to say, do you know what, we need to step in here and take some pressure off our quarterback by leading from the front as well? Whereas normally, normally you would expect the QB to be leading, but obviously Derek's had a lot of lot of focus on him the last couple of weeks. Um, could that I, I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, Dan. I mean, like Derek Carr, I think, naturally being the quarterback everyone thinks should lead the team i think Derek carr's almost uh you know his own worst enemy and that he's trying to do everything right and i think stepping into this veteran team that already has a bunch of alpha male leaders you know guys that that have been the leaders for this team for a year or two demario davis cam jordan mike thomas you know i'm compared to all those guys that we're talking about eric mccoy i think he was trying to fit in and you're exactly right. Talking to Mike Thomas today, Mike Thomas said, look, we've got to support Derek Carr. I mean, we've got to make it work, all of us together, and we've got to prop each other up instead of like letting maybe outside noise, as they say, tear mm. us apart. We can't get into that. And and I've I've been encouraged by what I've seen. Look, they if, if they don't win Sunday, it won't be because they're not focused and they're not all in. I mean, this is one of those games you can just tell everyone's locked in. They yep. know they got to get a win. Uh, they're not going to be overlooking anybody. Uh, so if they lose, it'll strictly be because I think they, they didn't execute or play as well as the opponent. It's not going to be because of their mindset. Yeah, it's good to know. Good to hear. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it's what I think that when we were having, we had a pod last week, um, Jeff, and Dan was touching on it. It's at the moment, there's a, there's a blame game going on, and that's always the case. You know, there's, it's almost like there's always going to be one individual responsible, whether it's the head coach, the OC or, and I think Dan put his finger on it last week is that I think everybody is to blame in this situation. I don't think it's one individual. I think everybody has got a reason for a finger to be pointed at them, not just one individual. And, and as you were saying, it's good to hear that that's coming out the locker room, that they're all gathering around each other. And you just, you just need it. it, it it just needs for it's almost like it sounds so simple but it's almost like it needs to click and it just hasn't yet um 
And sometimes you just need a breakout game for that to happen. You know, I know we had the Patriots game and that was enjoyable, but, you know, that was still a little bit clunky in that game. The Patriots obviously weren't, weren't great. And it just feels like you need everything to click in one game for almost because, you know, we were talking last week, people's confidence must be down as well. We were talking about Blake Groupie, who obviously another person who's getting a lot of criticism at the moment. But we, we, you know, we could hear it over here on the broadcast in the UK that even when he comes out, there's a there's an energy in the arena which must really constrict him as well, where he feels it as well, and that's not going to help somebody who obviously has missed a couple of kicks in a, in a couple of weeks, and so the the additional pressure is there. So it, you know, it's just a collective response, isn't it? Which is from what you're saying, sounds like it's happening in the locker room, and let's. Let's hope they can take that onto the field. Yeah, look, I think confidence is is key right now. And I think you make a good point. Like, I think the team needs to start fast in this game against the Colts. You know, just have some success early, especially offensively. I mean, the last two games, they've been in catch-up mode almost from the opening yeah. kickoff. And you're trying to catch up and you start pressing. And, and we see some of the frustration boil over. And, uh, you know, I think... I think a quick start wouldn't surprise me if they we were laughing about it after practice today, but wouldn't surprise me if they tried a trick play of all teams, the Colts, right? So maybe the mm. onside kick or you know the ambush. But yeah. you know, I think they need something to get some mojo going and get some confidence and kind of get back on track. Uh, you know, Mickey Loomis, I heard him say this week, uh, one of the Sean Payton's like common phrases he used to say, "You're either in this league, you're either." Uh, you know, in a rut or you're in a groove. And there's not much difference between the two. Uh, yeah. Right now, the Saints are in a rut, but it won't take long, like like we talked about, to flip it over and get into a groove. Mm. They just got to get over the hump here. And I like what I'm hearing fr- from the locker room. Things well, Jeff, when you get over that hump, you get the momentum behind you and the inertia, and that, that's what leads you forward. Yep. And that's what you, in, in this division, the way things are looking – you know, that kind of a run of three or four games and that's it. You're, yeah. you, you could be out of sight from the other three, the way they're playing. So especially if we can get those in those divisional matchups, uh, that's so going to be so important, especially those two Falcon games. Yeah. And look, I, I do think, you know, you made a good point, you know, Mike, that when you watch the film and I watch every game like three times, sometimes four times, watch the all 22. The thing that is a little disconcerting that I think makes it, a little problematic is, is it isn't just one thing, right? I mean, mm. that's what we all human nature is just to, to, to try to simplify the, the problem. Oh, it's one player or it's, it's mm. the play caller or it's just the red zone offense. And it's way more complicated than that. And so I think you make a good point in that everyone on the team's just got to play a little bit better. You know, if you watch the games yeah. over a, a bunch of times, you start seeing, well, it's not just Derek Carr. But he's definitely got to play better because he hasn't been playing that well in certain instances. But then there's certain times when he makes a great throw and the guy runs the wrong route. And then the next play, it might be Alvin Kamara not picking up the blitz. And it just feels like it's, I call it whack a mole, you know, like once they get mm. one problem fixed, you know, another one pops up. And that's where I think it does take a collective kind of mindset, uh, coaches, players, everyone to raise their level. And if everybody just kind of raises their level of play and standard, then they'll get going in the right direction. Yeah, and I, th- I think you're right. I think really- a, a, fa- a fast start is essential this weekend because 
we talked about confidence and you know if they don't get a fast start and they're down by two scores well you can you just get the impression that regardless of what's gone on this week just that the atmosphere from within will just dip again because it's because at the moment they don't look like they're a team that can chase i mean they almost did last week you know that second half performance was heartening it really was um but you just get the feeling if they go behind by a score or a couple of scores then that pressure builds again and you know that that can be destructive in itself yeah and you're and you're right i think right now the saints are battling a lot of almost mental uh yeah. you know enemies as opposed to just physical i mean they're pretty healthy all things considered i mean the, I, I just tweeted out about how they've got like a bug going through the facility so a lot of people sick right now but for the most part and they're banged up they have a extensive injury report but it's yeah. not such extensive injuries that should keep people out i mean maybe the only starter that's going to miss this game is james hurst and we're talking we're in you know week eight here so yeah. that's unusual to be that healthy they're probably one of the healthier teams in the league uh, and heaven knows they they're overdue for a little good health <laughs> yeah the last yeah. two years have been just painful haven't it with injuries it's yep. you know as much as you want to criticize our record when you look at the the the, the history the the injury history for the last two years it's been brutal and you know there aren't many teams who would would, would be able to flourish under that sort of injury pressure so yeah, hopefully they are. They, they've got a fairly clean bill of health. I'd like yeah, to see that's, that's one thing I always respected Sean Payton for was, you know, he would never use injuries as an excuse. It was just – he just refused to let his team think that way, even though it probably yeah. was a valid excuse, right, uh, especially the number of injuries we've seen here in the last few years. But he never would lean on that. And I think it was just more about the mindset of don't – ever look for a crutch you know whatever yeah. we got next man up kind of thing and uh i think they've kind of adopted that this year as well of uh, that mindset of um hey if it's uh you know uh, cam irving and, and unders pete at tackle so yeah. be it and we saw how that worked out last week they played pretty well yeah they absolutely did he did look good irving i, I wonder whether that's just yeah you know, he comes in and he hasn't had the the previous seven or six weeks of focus on the o-line he comes in pretty unscathed and mentally he's, he's quite comfortable stepping in um but i would like to see a few games of a a healthy o-line starting consistently all, all five five players i think that'll go a long way because that was the original complaint wasn't it everyone originally yeah. was going, oh, it's the o-line and then right. that picks up and oh, it's something else something else it just goes to your point uh jeff is whack-a-mole it's like, if it's not the o-line it's the oc it's qb right. it's head coach it's it's all over the place um yeah, it reminds me a little of the, the like the, the one thing that does concern me a little bit is it does remind me a lot of the pre Peyton and Breeze era. You, you know, like I've said this before on a couple of podcasts, it, it does remind me a little of those Has Jim Hazlitt Saints teams mm. in that they're talented and they can kind of tease you with their talent. You see it and you're like, wow, you know, if they can just get it together, you can see or they'll or they'll rise up and put it together and beat one of the better teams in the league. And you're like, well, there's there's the potential in that team, but they just can't consistently keep it together. No. That's what those Hazlitt teams were like. I mean, they would beat the you know, the Super Bowl champion Rams one week, and then they'd lose to the Lions the next. Uh, and this team kind of reminds me of that. So I'm, I'm hoping that the leaders on this team, because there's a bunch of strong leaders on this team, mm-hmm. that they are the ones that are going to take ownership and try to hold the rest of the locker room accountable 
to yeah. the standard that's been set because that's what it's going to take. Everyone wants to blame the coaches, but really it's a player-run league, and and they've got to hold everyone else accountable. I think when you look at our lead as well, I think we touched on it. They're, a lot of them are skill position players as well, so they can lead by example as well as lead as, as men. So it's like I can lead you and pull you up, but also look at what I'm doing on the field, and that can hopefully inspire you as well. Like, you know, Mike Thomas makes a contested catch, and he gets up and he's pumped up, and that hopefully – galvanizes everyone and say look he's doing it we can all do it as well and just give me a jimmy graham touchdown in the in the red zone and i'll be i'll be happy as larry <laughs> jeff, yeah. jeff i think the only reason dan's saying that is he's probably going to put a wager a bet on jimmy graham this week no, i'm, I'm right? going to bet on john johnson this week but all right <laughs> that's a good bet. Yeah. Yeah. I, would, I would recommend that to a lot of fantasy football owners or just punters in general i, I think john johnson's gonna have a big game yeah, so I was I, so. I was all on in him, all in on him preseason, Jeff. Uh, I've drafted him in so many fantasy leagues, and I was telling all my non-Saints fans friends like John Johnson, you've got to get John Johnson. He's a tight end to draft this year, and they were like looking at me and I going, "Yeah, really?" <laughs> I was like, no, "He'll come yeah. good. He'll come good. He'll come good." Yeah, I feel like this week going to be a big week for him, and you know, look, it's kind of now or never. I really think yeah. like they've got. They can't go to three and five. I, I think that's too deep a hole, even yeah. in this division. Uh, there's too many other pitfalls down the road. Uh, but I just think, if nothing else, they just need to play better and get some more confidence, like we said. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was going to literally say, just with um, a little bit of excitement, just just some enjoyment. You, you want to sit, when you watch football, you want to have some enjoyment. Hey, look, win, wins and losses you know you know they're going to come both of those but actually even a, even a loss if you get some sort of enjoyable football you can take something from that whereas at the moment you know we, we go back to maybe the bucks game that was just painful watching that because nothing was going right and we were getting beaten so there was just no enjoyment you know nobody performed um and that that's a horrible feeling as a fan when you're getting no enjoyment from from a sport win or win or lose so yeah Dan, no, you you know, great, great point mike and and i've said this before you know the one thing that i think does distinguish differentiate the the, the sean payton teams from mm. these dennis allen led teams was payton even when they were losing right those seven and nine years where yeah. they were kind of wandering the desert with their defense they were still fun <laughs> to watch. They still yeah. moved the ball up and down the field. In New Orleans, you all know this. You've been here a bunch yeah. of times and experienced the culture. People like to party here, man. They go to these games. They want to have yeah. a good time. It's an event. It's not necessarily a sporting contest. No. It's kind of like a mini jazz fest, if you will. Yeah. And so people want to go have a good time. And when you're kicking a bunch of field goals and you're, you're losing <laughs> 16 to 19, I mean, it's not fun. No, it, you know, and so I think this style of play that Dennis Allen has—he's a defensive-minded coach. That's yeah. the way they're going to live. There's no doubt. But it would be nice if they were just a little more exciting. And I think fans would, even if they left the game and lost thirty-six to thirty-four, they might feel a little better than yeah. some of these recent games you're talking about. Absolutely, and you—you you could see that from the game last week with the comeback in the second half. Even for a period of time, there was a sense of enjoyment and excitement. Yep. Um, because it was, you know, up until obviously the the final drive, it was actually a very good comeback. Uh, the the defense played out their skin in the second half, unfortunately, up until you know allowing allowing the touchdown. But 
the actual the offense it was exciting and I, that's it's been a while since you watched the saints and got that little sort of tingle of excitement watching them even in the victories they've had they've been very workmanlike the victories they'd had up until that point so yeah so yeah let's just have a bit of fun let's hope we get a win as well well i'm sure it's the same for jeff you guys in the in the press box as well you don't want to write like stories about games you haven't enjoyed watching even if you're a fan or not a fan of a team you want to enjoy the game you're watching to write about it because that obviously is is a more enjoyable process i imagine writing about wins than it is around losses um no well 100 no question I, you know, I tell people all the time uh you know i'm i'm kind of rooting for myself a little bit i'm rooting for the game to be exciting i'm rooting for the story kind of right you know i don't yeah. really have anything invested in whether the saints win or lose uh you know i'm just kind of try to stay neutral but i'm always rooting for the story so i'll yeah. be honest with you when the saints were in the super bowl i was rooting for the saints just because it was a much better story right it was a it was a yeah. great story for our city. It was a great story for, you know, I think for the NFL. Uh, I was definitely rooting in that game for the Saints to win just because it was a much better story. The Colts win. I mean, it's bad for our market. It's bad for, you know, our, our newspaper. Uh, so I definitely was rooting for the better story there. And uh, that's just how you go into the games. You know, otherwise, I, I don't get emotional. One thing I've learned, and you, you mentioned – uh, Twitter earlier. I mean, one thing I can distinctly remember, I got on Twitter pretty early. I think 2009 was the first yeah. year I was on. And I, I I don't even know, I've never counted up how many people I blocked. Um, but I guarantee you <laughs> 98% of them were in like the first year or two. And mm. I didn't realize back then, I mean, I had to, under, you had to understand on Sundays, on game days, you have to give people a lot of wide berth. I mean, it's emotional. <laughs> People yeah. say things they're out of their living minds on game day. Normally rational, logical people yeah. act crazy during the game because it's emotional. And yeah. back then I would be, oh, you know, this person's cussing me out or they're they're vulgar. I'm not taking that. And I would block them. I, le I let people just vent because that's kind of what they're doing uh, yeah. in social media during a game. I don't think I blocked anybody. And I bet it's been five, maybe maybe a decade. It's been a long time. Yeah, uh, because I've learned that, you know, you have to let people let people run the course uh, of going yeah. through an emotional experience like that. And that's what I love about Saints fans in, in New Orleans and Louisiana in general. You know, when I moved here, I didn't know that the Saints had this passionate following. I mean, they were kind of an also ran. You know, when I moved yeah. to New Orleans in 99, I came here to cover LSU. So I actually moved to Baton Rouge. That was my first job. Uh, you know, I knew about the Steelers having passionate fans and in the Kansas city chiefs and the Packers. But I had no idea what I was getting into when I started covering the saints. And it's the best thing by far in covering the team is the passion that the fans have. I mean, it's unbelievable. Everything you write is devoured by the fans here. Mm. And everything is like this though. You know, it's that line that yeah. Sean Payton talks about. It's that Bill Parcells line every weekend's either a crisis or a carnival. That's exactly what it's like. If they win, it's a carnival. If they lose, it's a total crisis. But people care. The worst thing yeah. is to cover a team or a beat where people don't care. And that's yeah. certainly not the case here. You've you've segued into a, a question we had. So I had a question here 
that I'd written down around uh, training camp. And there was a lot of hype from a lot of other writers. And I remember at the time, it might be even been <laughs> the joint practices with San Diego and people saying, oh, we look amazing. And I remember you sort of said, well, let's just temper expectations a little bit. And you're, you were giving sort of more balanced balanced views on it. And I was going to say, you know, you get a lot of criticism online and you've touched on it there. People will vent. And I know from when I spoke to you when you was in London, people always bring up stuff from like 10 years ago and, yeah. and things like that. And, you know, we talked about it and you were fairly open with me, but I was going to say, how do you deal with that? Because people just will will vent at you and they will criticize you and they'll, they'll bring up stuff which isn't even relevant to now. And they're just like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about, you know, Bounty Gate, or I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about that. And right. like, to me, I don't even know how I would, I think I'd just log off Twitter and be like, nope, you know, I'm not, I'm not going on there. But you, <laughs> you just persevere for you go, no, nope, I'm going to keep doing my job. And, you know, that, that's got to take some, you've you got some fortitude just to, but you've just said that you just, you understand it. It's the emotions of the fan base and just let it ride out and let them, let them vent and then reset and go again, I suppose. Yeah. Look, I, I try to, I use a bad analogy and, and I don't know if it works or not, but, I've tried to tried to use this analogy of I feel like it's my job to kind of keep it real and tell the truth. That's really all I'm trying yeah. to do. Uh, and, and that can go either way. Sometimes yeah. it might be the truth that people don't want to hear, right? It could be a negative thing, but like Bounty Gate, for instance, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it, the truth. Yeah. That's all I'm looking for. And sometimes it could be the other way. And I'll give you a good example there's a there's a, a nasty trend sometimes that happens and it's not just in new orleans but i've noticed it does happen here to some degree and in sports in general when a, there's like a lot of tribalism with your team right yeah you know, mm. us or them so mm. one of the things that i always try to do is when a player gets traded i've noticed this trend of like it happened with jimmy graham it happened with brandon cooks it happened with akeem hicks all of a sudden everybody starts trashing the player and and mm. You know, they want to portray him as like a malcontent or a negative uh, person. And I've always taken up for that player. I mean, unless it's true. But in the case of all three of those guys, none of them were bad guys. I mean, they got traded. It happens in the league. It's a business. So I would be taking up for Jimmy Graham saying, Jimmy Graham's not a bad dude. You know, maybe maybe you didn't like the negotiation with the tight end uh, wide receiver thing, but he's not a bad guy. So I'm I'm doing the opposite there. Right. I'm. I'm just trying yeah. to tell you the truth. The truth is yeah. Jimmy Graham was well liked by his teammates and his and his coaches. No one had a bad thing to say about Jimmy Graham. D- Drew Brees loved Jimmy Graham. And so when he came back, now everybody loved him again. But when he was gone, everybody <laughs> yeah. was stressed. I'm just trying oh. to tell you the truth. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And so uh, my we, bad we, analogy, my bad analogy is always the wet the weather person, right? The weatherman. I'm mm-hmm. gonna tell you if it's gonna rain on Saturday. I'm gonna tell you. That's my job. And you may not like it. You may want it to be sunny and 70, but that's not my job. My job is to tell you what's going to happen. And so, you know, it's funny. And people respect the meteorologist that tells the truth. Mm. But if sports, we all want to hear hope and, and, you know, all positive things. And I'm just trying to tell you what I think is the best version of the truth I know. And and that's all. And sometimes it, it, it does anger people, but it's coming from a place of, of, you know, honesty. I'm not trying to, and people say, you're oh, you're a wet blanket. Well, look, I think the expectations sometimes are better when you understand what's coming. And, and you know, I'm kind of yeah. kicking myself because I had some concerns about this team and they're all kind of bearing out right now. I can, I was concerned about Trevor Penning's ability to play left tackle. I was concerned about Derek Carr making this transition. 
concerned mm. about where's the pass rush. I mean, there's a lot of things I was concerned about, and I kind of got caught up, and that's unlike me. And and, and I yeah. think in some ways you end up you end up presenting false expectations to fans. Uh, and I just try to be as realistic as I can. Yeah, I, I mean for the with preseason as well. Like, obviously, if you're not right, if someone's not writing for, you know, uh, the uh, a newspaper or or Nola.com or something like that, and they're writing for their own back, then it's in their interest to get those positive stories out there because positive stories generate views and they generate subscriptions and things like that. And it's not taking anything away from people who who run those 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 kind of outlets, but it, it, it's a fact of the matter is you need to bring in people and people don't want to read negative stories so positive stories are always going to sell better but you need the balance because otherwise you end up in an echo chamber of great news and then you get to a point like we are now in the season you're going how, how did this happen i thought we how were going to be amazing yeah. with a super bowl <laughs> you know? right no, it's, it's like it's going to be it's not always going to be sunny and 70 and a good example yeah. would be the, the you know some of the stuff that i was putting out early about mike thomas because mike thomas um early on was struggling. I mean, and yet I was looking and seeing all this hype and it just, that's just not me. I'm not, I'm going to tell you the truth and, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it uh, in a malicious way. It's my job to kind of report the truth and it's always informed. I think people need to understand when I'm putting out that Mike Thomas is struggling early on and struggling to get off the line of scrimmage and is catching the ball with his body and stuff. That's all coming from people in the building that I'm talking to. So it's coming from people on the team, right? Yeah, Internally. Yeah. It's not just me on a mountaintop throwing it out there. And, and that also doesn't mean it's definitive. That's just in that moment, he was taking some time. I think the first thing I actually said about Mike Thomas was he's going to need some time. And you know what? Mm. He got through that. He's been playing very yeah. well. But it's yeah. my job to tell you the truth. Everyone else it felt like was just Mike Thomas is back and let's just hype it. And yeah. I get it. You want to get fans excited, but yeah. it's not my job to hype. It's my job to no. kind of try to tell the yeah. truth. But also with the with the Mike Thomas one, I think there was probably a lot of emotion attached to it, wasn't there? Because he had missed two years. You know, he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and yep. you know, there, I think with with Mike Thomas, there was so much emotion attached to it, and and it was almost like a sense of everybody just wanted him to be back so as you're saying jeff you're you're just you're hearing what you're hearing from the building and sort of unsurprisingly yet again it's like in hindsight the guy had been out for basically two years any sports star who has been out of their field for two years is going to have to ease themselves back in it's not going to come naturally you're not going to be you know that whether you ever get to that person that you ever were but you still you still have to attain a level. It's just not going to be there the moment you get back on a field or on a football soccer pitch over here or, or wherever it is. But I do think the Mike one was, I think there was a lot of emotion attached to that with just people just so hoping that he could get back. Not only well, for people the team. Thought he wasn't going to, people thought he wasn't going to play again, didn't they? They thought he yeah. was never going to wear a yeah. Saints jersey again. Exactly. And, it's, and it's, not, it's not even for the team. I think also, you know, from my point of view, him as an individual, you know, somebody who is so driven, who's so dedicated to his craft, that was ripped away from him. Look, whether or not he was partially to blame the organisation or it was just a type of injury, but that was taken away from him for for over two years. And that's what he lived for. Everybody can see the way that Mike Thomas is, you know. So that's, you know, that's his game. You know, he's so dedicated to his craft. So for me, I was more about, I just hope for his sake, he can come back and sort of play at a level 
and it and it looks like maybe that's where he is now, which is fantastic for both him and also the Saints. Yeah, and look, you know, and the other thing I would say about that is, you know, I've covered the team now. This is, gosh, I started in 99, 2000, so it's 24 years. You know, I've, uh, Oof, you know we've Jeff. got a lot of people covering the team that haven't covered the NFL very long, you know, so like they yeah. – I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything other than I know what I'm watching, you know, like I, I know what I'm seeing. And when you mm. watch a, a, a receiver and, and I watch almost every practice with Bobby a bear or Deuce McAllister, cause I know those guys really well, former yeah. players. And you know, you try and glean as much from them as you can. But when a, when a receiver is out there in one-on-one drills, he should win 90, 95% of those drills because he knows where he's going the defensive back doesn't. So you have to understand that and know that, yeah, he's going to win every one of those drills. But when it gets into seven on seven, it gets a little bit harder because the DB's got help. And then when it gets into team drills, it's even harder. So you have to understand that, what you're watching. And sometimes I think the fans are, you know, if you're just gleaming, reading social media, you don't understand that, like, yeah, he should win all those one-on-one drills with a DB. That doesn't necessarily mean he's all the way back because he's winning a one-on-one drill. A good example of that would have been when we were out watching the joint practices uh, in in uh, California. I mean, uh, Marshawn Lattimore was getting eaten alive in, in these drills one-on-one because, again, he's at a huge disadvantage. It's the exact same thing when the opposite way when you watch pass rush drills. Uh, in pass rush drills, the, the pass rusher is at a huge advantage in one-on-ones because he's trying to get to the quarterback. He knows where he's going. He doesn't have any – the offensive lineman doesn't have any help. So if you know all these things, you can kind of portray it in the proper context. And I think early on, everyone was just putting up videos of Mike Thomas going <laughs> one-on-one against some third-string corner and beating him, and everybody's like, he's back. And I'm like, well, that's that's not the way to gauge if he's back or not. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I just wanted to get that out there because yeah, yeah. That, that's also very true is, you know, some some people – there's more coverage than ever. There's way more reporters out there, way more cameras out there than, than has ever been. I think sometimes for the reader and for the fans, it's hard to distinguish between all the coverage. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Um, just, just on the point where we're at with the saints, it's probably, you sort of touched on it a couple of times, Jeff, about, sort of moving to New Orleans in sort of 99 and stuff. I think probably the way first, how did you get into sports journalism? What was your journey sort of into the industry? Was it something that you sort of grew up and knew you wanted to do or did you have a different pathway? No, I I tell you, I was, I went to Eastern Kentucky university my freshman year and majored in wildlife management. I I wanted to be like, (laughs) I wanted to be like one of those guys out that checks your fishing or hunting license. And uh, I thought I was going to be, you know, petting wild animals and, and, and roaming around with deer. And it was like comparative anatomy and organic chemistry. And I was like, get me out of this. <laughs> I, it, was, it was so difficult. And I knew I could always write. That was something I was always uh, kind of naturally good at. So I went, transferred back to the University of Louisville. My, my mother, I'm from, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And my mother worked at the university. And so I, I you know, could get a free education there and figure out what I wanted to do. And I uh, came back and transferred and started going into journalism. And my older brother is in broadcast, still works in television news in Louisville, Kentucky. 
uh, and he kind of guided me a little bit. And I always loved sports. So I thought, well, why don't I like to write and, uh, you know, sports, I, I love sports. So it seemed like a natural, uh, you know, kind of marriage. Yeah. And uh, my first full-time job was in North Louisiana and Monroe, Louisiana. So I, that's how I kind of ended up at the time speaking and was getting familiar with the state of Louisiana. Back then, guys, you had to kind of go where you could go to get a job. And my yeah. first job was at the Monroe News Star. So you just had to get started in journalism. It was much harder to get a job back then than it is today. And uh, so I started out covering high school sports and kind of work your way up and moved around a little bit, worked at USA Today, worked in Nashville, worked in Florida, a couple stops, uh, and found my way back here. But this has been by far the best uh, situation, kind of what I talked about earlier, just because the fans here are, are so into yeah. it. Uh, football is so big here. Uh, you know, I, I've covered, and you, you probably remember this, but, you know, during the Katrina situation, um, you know, there's a lot of speculation on what's going to happen to the New Orleans Saints. Are they going to leave? Yeah. Or are they going to go to San Antonio? I, I covered all of that uh, deep in the weeds on that coverage. But the one thing I always remember was uh, NFL executive told me once that they had a map in the Park Avenue offices of the NFL. It has a map of the United States, and they had a, a, a light kind of uh, on the map of each one of their markets in the United States of America. And they said, if you take that light out of New Orleans and there was no NFL team there, they said you would not have an NFL presence from Houston and Dallas all the way over to Atlanta. And he said, that is the most football crazy part of our entire country. They lead all the television ratings, yeah. college football, <clears throat> NFL why would we not ever have – I mean, we're always going to have a team in New Orleans yeah. in, in the Gulf Coast area. And it made perfect sense to me. So when I when people ask me, was were the Saints ever going to leave, I always tell them it's, it's really two answers. One, they were never really going to leave because the NFL wasn't going to let them. But were they – did they have some interest? Were they looking to potentially leave? Yes, very, very much. But it was never going to happen because they were going to yeah. have to get votes from other owners – so we're in this football mad part of the, of the world and it's just a great place to work for what I do. Yeah. Absolutely. So so you sort of you you sort of bounced around then you ended up in obviously New Orleans and so when you sort of first got there but were you so you were saying you went to you were covering LSU in Baton Rouge was that first and then sort of made yes. your way down. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what was it like in ba Baton Rouge because obviously myself and dad even though we've been over to the city so many times. I think one of our ambitions is still to go and see an LSU uh, game live, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, we're just, they're playing Bama when we're over, but it's in Alabama, so we just have to settle for it in a bar, I suppose. But yeah, we want to go <laughs> yeah. to uh, Tiger Stadium at some point. Mm. You guys got to get to a game at Tiger Stadium. I mean, it's epic. It's one of the truly great sporting environments in the country. I mean, a night game at Tiger Stadium, especially an SEC game, there's really not much like it. I mean, I tell people all the time, you, you have to be really bad to not be able to recruit great players at LSU because players all want to play in that environment, the passion, the tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just amazing. So I highly encourage you to do that. My first year doing it was 99. It was Jerry DiNardo's last year. He got Everybody kind of knew he was going to get fired, so it was kind of a miserable season. <laughs> uh, and And – they had asked me after the season, after Donardo did get fired, um, if I wanted to cover the New Orleans Saints. And at the time, 
I'd just gotten comfortable. I'd only been living in Baton Rouge about seven months. I'd just gotten comfortable with knowing the beat, everybody knowing me, me knowing everybody. You know, see, as a journalist, you're kind of like, man, I just, I just went through the the transition. Yeah. I don't really know if I should move to New Orleans or not, but it was the best thing I ever did because obviously this is an amazing city. And I, I literally my first year on the Saints beat, Jim Hazlitt comes on, Randy Mueller, they they go to the playoffs, they win the division, they win the first playoff game <laughs> in the history of the franchise. So it was just this kind of magic carpet ride. And since then, it's just been an amazing, amazing run. And I can distinctly remember moving to the city, not knowing you know what part of town to live in. It's it's such a unique place to live. Uh, and look, you know, I'm talking to two guys, you know, across the pond. I mean, it's very European. And, and I think yeah. when you first move here, you're used to living in other cities. I mean, I've lived in Tampa, Florida, Melbourne, Florida, Washington, D.C., Louisville, Kentucky, Nashville. I mean, this place is unlike anywhere else in yeah. America. And it's one of the great – that's the great thing about it, right? It's kind of an island unto itself in American yeah. culture. Uh, but when you first move here, you're like, what the hell have I done? This is the most backward place I've ever lived. And then once you start to appreciate the history and, and why things are different here, then you yeah. really come to embrace it. And I, I always tell people, you got to give New Orleans time because it's mm. such a culture shock. When you first move here, there's no way to take a left-hand turn. We call it the Louisiana left, right? You, there's no turning lanes because the city is so old. The streets are so old, they didn't have turning lanes back then. But when you first move here, you're like, why isn't it like the rest of America? <laughs> why do I have to go through the red light and circle back, you know, and all these things that the rest of America doesn't have? And then once you get used to it and appreciate it, it's magical. There's no no place, no place else like this in, in our country. Yeah. So go, Mike. No, 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 crack on, mate. I was to say, Jeff. So we uh, we had the privilege of talking to Doug Tatum uh, a few episodes back. Was it? Did you know he? Because he's from Kentucky as well. Did you know each other before you came down, or he came down, or was there any connection there, or just completely two separate entities coming coming to a, a close proximity to each other from a similar part of the world? No, I didn't know him at all. I mean, until we started working together at the Times Picayune. Uh, Doug went to Trinity High School, one of the elite schools. I went to the public school, so he was the snobby <laughs> elitist at, at Trinity High School. Oh, uh, he was one of them, Jeff. Oh. Yeah, one of those guys. But no, I mean, he was incredible boss, incredible friend of mine to this day. Uh, done an unbelievable job for the New Orleans Saints. I, I think anybody in the building would tell you he's he's an incredible uh, asset for that organization. And yeah, we both have we're. we're we're transplanted Louisvillians down here, but there's a lot of similarities. I, I tell people a lot. I mean, the the French, you know, basically the the the, the symbol of, of Louisville is a, yeah. is a fleur de lis. The same way, it's mm. the major city in the state. It's on a big river, the Ohio River. Uh, there's you know it's named after King Louis. Uh, you know, so there's a lot yeah. of similarities. That the state college is an hour away where the state university is. Uh, a lot of things similar. To, so it's not that it wasn't that big of a difference uh, in that regard, but uh, getting here and, and trying to learn uh, the French influence and the Spanish and European influence, that's what makes it so different. What makes it so such a great place to live. It's so distinctive, right? The, 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 yeah. the architecture here, the cuisine, we have our own cuisine, our own, our mm. own music, our own culture. Everything's different in New Orleans. 
and and it's what makes it such a eccentric, interesting place to live and work. I mean, in in my job, uh, there's this news all the time. We, I, I tell people we're, we're a world class city, but we're not really that big. We're definitely not a, a top twenty market in America, but it feels that way when you're here, especially in sports, because we get we have all the major sports with the you know NFL and NBA, but then we also get Super Bowls, we get Final Fours, all these major events come here. So it feels a lot bigger than it really is. That's one of the things I say to people when they come out, they said it going over and they say, well, how long do I need to get from the airport? Is it like an hour? I said, no, 25 minutes. If you, if you land at a good time, you'll be fine. It's like, it's a lot of people said it's like America's biggest small sit, small town type of small yeah. city. And yeah, I said to you, you can get anywhere relatively quickly. It's not like New York or Atlanta where you've right. got, if you want to go from one side of the city to another, it's going to take you, forever um and it just leans into that it's a it's a it's like a small town that's a big city at the same time it's yeah and and we've we've had we've had a couple of people on dan who have said the same thing that you said jeff which is like it's a very european feeling city but also it's got that caribbean influence and stuff so it is a real it's that melting pot of culture and just greatness but yeah obviously me and dan would say that because we try and get out there as much as we can so but yeah it, it, it's a remarkable city to go to and and we've spoken to people from america not on the pod but just when when you're in the city who who maybe have turned up there for the first time and they it's almost like they don't get it <laughs> they, they're right. in the city but they don't get it and you know and i think that sort of touches on on sort of what you say there coming from other areas of America and you come into New Orleans, it's like, oh, what is this? I, I, I don't get it. But yeah. You either, look, you either get it or you don't is the way I Yes, look at that's it. it. But yeah, I, yeah. But yeah. I try to encourage, encourage the people that don't get it is give it a little time yeah. and learn to appreciate it because it's just such an incredible place to live. And I, I, I bring this up. I've written about this a few times. There's a, a French phrase called esprit de closier. It means the the spirit of the clock tower. And um, I think that does come up a lot with, say, Saints fans or New Orleanians. Really, really, Saints fans are just a, a, an extension of, of, New or- of New Orleans, right? I mean, New yeah. Orleans loves itself more than any other city I've ever lived in. And rightfully so. It's an incredible place to live. But it, it's that spirit of the clock tower, right? I and mean, what that means is in these small villages in France, it was the the duty and the honor of everyone that lived in that village that was within listing distance of the, the clock tower that was in every one of those uh, bell towers in, in, in these small villages. If you lived within sound of that clock tower, it was your duty to defend the honor of that village. And I feel like that's what New Orleans does. I mean, people defend New Orleans. We, we have T-shirts, right? And it's really much a tribalism or provincialism mm. uh, in this city because it's it's our honor we're so different from the rest of america and we kind of relish it we embrace it and, and that's why you see uh, our kid a kid saints fans all the time you know everything you know roger goodell hates us the referees hate us you know it's <laughs> that kind of provincialism right it's us against the world and i think it's yeah. it, it's because we are so different i mean rest of america was kind of the white anglo-saxon protestant uh, you know, from the Northeast that came kind of spread over the rest of the country. And we're this little island of Catholicism and, 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 you know, kind of the rogues and ruffians that came over yeah. uh, on the early ships to found the, the found the, the city of New Orleans. It was just a different way of life here. And I think that has stayed true all these centuries 
later. It's still that same kind of spirit. Mm. And I think you last week, Dan, we we, we had Corey on, uh, a friend of ours uh, who's on the 28.3 podcast. And I think you touched on that when you were speaking to Corey about the fact that even if you're an adopted New Orleanian, you defend that city with yep. everything you've got. You know, and that's myself and Dan. We're a couple of guys who live in London, sort of middle-aged blokes. Well, I'm middle-aged. Dan's still relatively young. Pushing it, um, pushing it. Push, yeah, yeah. Um, but you do. I, I would defend that city with everything I've got. Um, and it is, that's part of when you buy into it. If you buy into it, yeah. then you feel like you're part of it, which, you know, which is wonderful. And I would say you, you put in you know, Jeff from our friend Mark Daly as well. You know, he's someone who, you know, yeah. he will defend New Orleans. Yeah, he's not, he's yeah. from Melbourne, Australia, and he, he, he defends New Orleans like he was born and bred there. It just, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, look, I mean, which is my nice segue flawed. into. Sorry, go on, Jeff. No, I was just going to say, it's, it, I mean, we've got okay. all kinds of flaws here, right? I mean, the streets are terrible. Yep. We have terrible leadership, but yep. gosh darn it, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I mean, this is an amazing place uh, for all of its for all of its faults. I mean, it's yeah. it's the greatest city in America, in my opinion, and um, we, you know, it's such an interesting, vital place uh, in, in Saints games. You know, it's one of the few things I can think of in the city where you go and it's communal, right? I mean, yeah, I know this is going to get sound kind of a big picture here, but you go to the games and, and there's people of all ages, races, creeds, right? Everyone's together on this one thing. We yeah. all love the Saints. It's kind of like when you go to Jazz Fest or Mardi Gras. There's only certain things in the city that do that where everything's eliminated. We're all in it together. And, and Saints games are like that. It's I always, I always tell the younger reporters that come on our staff, I say, you know, you got to get beyond just the X's and O's when you cover the Saints. I mean, it's so much more important. You know, I did a series one year when Doug Tatum was my boss on the super fans, and I did one a week, like, you know, Whistle Monster and, and Dark Saint. <laughs> and, and that doesn't go on in any other city in America where you yeah. have people dressing up in costumes and taking on these characters uh, games. It, it speaks to new Orleans. It's more about the culture and uh, you know, it, it, it's a big business for our city. There's just so much more to it than just the football part of it. And I yeah. encourage, you know, encourage our reporters to embrace that part of covering the team. Cause it's, it's, it makes it different than say covering the Minnesota Vikings or the Denver Broncos. Yeah. Yeah, I actually. It's funny, whenever whenever we do that, fan interviews. Yeah, God. I was gonna say so I, you, I used that super fan interview. No, I've got a delay. I think I used that super fan interview when we interviewed Max. Actually, so he came. Darth Saint came on our podcast, yep. and I actually read your interview with uh, Jeff, and used that for some of our material for uh, for the questions we asked him. So it came in quite handy for us. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, and I, I remember we went and stayed with him that morning. I mean, it took him like it takes Max like two hours to get prepared yeah. and get dressed up i'm thinking who's who is this crazy dude spends two hours <laughs> getting ready in costume for a game and it, and it goes on all over the stadium it's just amazing and it it speaks to the the uniqueness of of the people of new orleans no question absolutely dan you were you were talking about uh i think jeff led you in you were leading into your segue um that. yeah so we wanted to talk to jeff obviously you've been covering the team for a very long time you've been covering the team since before they first came to London as what is now the international series. Have you seen, I, I assume you've been over for all three games because I know you was over for the last two. Um, 
have you seen that fan base grow internationally from Saints fans? Because we've seen it ourselves in in the UK. But is it something that's obvious to you guys as reporters coming over, seeing the, the progression of the game in the UK, certainly from a Saints point of view? Oh, no question. I mean, I can remember the first time coming over, I don't think I felt I, – I remember I was given the assignment, guys, to kind of do the story like the man on the street. Uh, you know, what's it like over there for Saints fans? And I couldn't really get a sense at all. I mean, obviously London's a massive yeah. know, global city, mm-hmm. but I didn't get a sense at all of the game being there that first time. I ended up having to go to, uh, I think there was like a, the O had a, some kind of New Orleans event where they were going to have music, New Orleans music. And I had to go to that event to find the fans because I knew <laughs> they would be there at, at that event. It wasn't like I could find them just walking around downtown yeah. and by the by the contrast the last time we were there just recently a year ago uh, you could find saints fans all over downtown it was not a problem everybody was in their gear uh, it's grown exponentially and just in, in people in general reaching out to me and my social media timelines or emails however they reach out uh it's grown i'd say you know multifold uh the interest level and i think i think obviously the saints gaining popularity, winning the Super Bowl in 2009, going on that run with Breeze and Peyton where they became really one of the more high-profile teams in the league. That certainly yeah. helped, right? It, everybody yeah. loves a winner. Uh, so when team mm. – I think when some uh, you know, people in Europe were looking for a team to adopt, the Saints were good then. They were exciting. So it seemed natural for, for a lot of Saint people to jump on that bandwagon. And uh, I think it's only going to continue to mushroom and grow. I, I'm really excited – I think one of the best things the NFL has done is expand over into Europe, especially starting yeah. in London and building up that international following. You can see the, you know, how successful that's been. And every year it, it seems like it gets bigger. Yeah. I mean, you could see, I mean, obviously we know from the London experience uh, and you know, we've, we've touched on it on previous pods, Jeff, obviously when the saints come over, it's, it's a wonderful occasion for us because the weekend lasts for about four days. Yep. There's far too much drinking, far too much partying. You age about three and a half years in a weekend. Um, but every year we also get the opportunity to go to the London games. You know, whoever's playing, you know, myself and Dan go every year. Um, and you can see the game growing. And I, I, I agree with you about because they're foraging further into Europe. And obviously now with the games in Germany, in Germany, Germany naturally actually is probably a bigger market than England, um, you know, for various reasons, you know, obviously US Army bases and, you know, and also mm-hmm. when we used to have the, the the league back in the 80s and the 90s, obviously it was like Germany almost sustained it towards the end. Um, and it's great for us because obviously we've got we've got Saints friends in France and, you know, Norway. And, and so it's great for us to actually build not just a UK community, but we're building a sort of a European community. So, yeah, it's fantastic for us. And, you know, long may it continue. You know, I'd love to go and see a game in Germany. or I know they're talking about maybe having a game in, in Spain as well. Those would be fantastic venues for NFL fans to get to. So, yeah. No, I'm, I'm all over it. I, I, would love, <laughs> I would love to get 
get the Saints to play regularly in France. I'm I'm a bit of a Francophile, so oh, I'm a right. nerd on the Tour de France. I, I love <laughs> it's one of my favorite sporting events. So get me over there as much as possible. I, I love Europe, and I think we have a kinship because of yeah. what we talked about the you know the European <laughs> influence here. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I'd be over in France on vacation or visiting friends and I, something would come up and I go, oh, that's why it's like yeah. that in New Orleans. You know, it, it, you realize mm. the, the influence for whatever reason, whatever it could be, but you start to see it over there um, and start to see it reflected in New Orleans. Well, I was hopefully with- in Paris this week um, and as we was driving, whenever I saw a, like a, a road name, that was linked to New Orleans or a, a place. Yeah. I'll be like, that's a street in New Orleans or my friend has that surname. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's like, just like, just as I was driving along, just popping them off. Yeah. And, and also, Jeff, with the international marketing rights, with the Saints going into into France, hopefully uh, your dream will come true of, uh, of more opportunities to get over to France if, you know, if at some point the NFL decide to have a game there. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've got, we, we had the, the guys from, uh, Saints France on was one of our first couple of episodes, of wasn't it, Dan? And, yeah. yeah, and they, you know, they're so excited about the fact that that the Saints are going to sort of try and infiltrate their market, and and obviously that means that probably means great things for them because they're the biggest sort of fan base uh, Twitter account in France. Which and I think John and Elio were saying to us that they'd already had interaction with the organization about some things, so. Yeah, long long may that continue, and long may you get the opportunity to go to France to watch the Saints, Jeff, so you can tick off two boxes at once. Yeah, look, I mean, I've had three trips to London because of it. Mm. Uh, you know, those I call those those are like the greatest boondoggles of all time. But I, I did have to say something though. Last trip over there, you guys can answer this for me. Luke Johnson, yeah. my my colleague, covers the team with me. Does a terrific job. We tried to go to a a rugby match. Near our hotel, I'm trying to think of the name of the team. I can't think of the name of the team. We were, were, you, in, were you in West London? Yes, I think so. Okay. And we were out. In, it, the thing I remember, though, is we, we tried to go after it started, and we were like maybe 15 minutes after the match had started, and they wouldn't sell us tickets after the match had started. I, is that a thing? Is that common? Uh, Why I've would they not want our dollars or yeah exactly your money yeah we were trying to give them you know money and they would not let us in the stadium after after i i have no idea jeff because i've never i've never known that at any sort of major sporting event like that but also rugby rugby union over here is not doing very well and they need all the money they can get so even even from that small sort of micro perspective i'm really surprised to hear that it was it the wasps i'm thinking west london i'm trying to go i'm trying to think of it'd be wasps or saracens london. wouldn't it yeah maybe I, i'll but yeah I'll, re- I'll get it and send it to you all after we get offline <laughs> yeah. not just yeah we wanted to go in and buy buy you know gear we were gonna buy merchandise we yeah were yeah yeah in, we were devastated that we couldn't get in yeah i've never heard of that it's uh, so really unusual yeah, yeah. I can get it with soccer because obviously they want to make sure they aren't getting away fans going into segregation. Yeah. But rugby is not segregated. It's like the NFL. It's like you can sit right. wherever you want. So I'm really, really quite surprised by that. Yeah. That's, but I tell you what, I, I love that's London is just an amazing city. You could go 
30 times and still not see all of London. It's it's yeah. the, almost the opposite of New Orleans, right? It's a massive spread out mm. city. But I, I just absolutely love like we, we stayed. I have a friend that lives in Woking and, and she recommended. Oh, yeah. The last time we stayed, we stayed in Richmond, which ended up, of course, being the Ted Lasso fan, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> but we stayed there and it I felt like I maybe what it would feel like to live in, you know, out outside of London a little bit. And well, it, I, I used to I used to live in an area that was only sort of 10 minutes away from Richmond. And um even before Ted Lasso, Richmond was a uh, sort of in that area of London was very much a destination area because yeah. it's it's got it's got all those things that you want. It's on the river. It's got all those little back alleys that have got restaurants yes. and little cafes. It's actually, but also it's horribly expensive, Jeff. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, it's the funny, <laughs> it, it, it was it because myself and my wife were thinking of moving there and probably about seven years ago, we could have possibly afforded it. Since Ted Lasso, not a hope. Um, because that has it's made a major impact in the area it's really? um yeah it's made a huge impact that that i was reading an article but i think something like the if i think house prices in london which are always bloody going up had gone up in like four years by about eight percent in richmond they'd gone up by about 17 percent. so it's it's remarkable what publicity can do for an area but it is a beautiful area there's oh. no getting away from it yeah, loved, yeah, we loved it. And what was nice about it was that was when the Saints were practicing out at the I think it was like yeah. the Irish, um, Irish, yeah, London Irish, London yeah, Irish. So, yeah, so it was kind of easy to get to from Richmond. It wasn't, you know, if you're staying downtown London, that's a that's a hike. Uh, but yeah, the thing we loved about it was, uh, you know, you're right on the river, like you said, it was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the time, it was before the Ted Lasso uh, yeah. series, so it was a little more quaint than it, you know, it's yeah. the way it's gotten now. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously uh, on the map as they say, but, mm. but the London proper, the, the, the stadium we were in last time, hot uh, Tottenham Hotspur, amazing stadium. I think maybe yeah. along with SoFi out in Los Angeles, <clears throat> which we were just at two best stadiums I've ever been at uh, wow. in, in the world. I mean, just an amazing stadium. And I love how it's just been basically, cut right out of that old neighborhood uh, there's yeah. no real parking there or anything it's i tell people here if you get a chance to go to a game in london that that would be the place i would recommend even more than jeff london. jeff every every day that someone mentions it it pains me because i'm i'm an arsenal fan so ah. that, that's that's tottenham's rivals yep and it 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 absolutely it burns my innards to think that I walk into that stadium and I think what a beautiful stadium because it is, I, I think it's an absolutely stunning stadium and it belongs to them. And that, that really doesn't make me very happy. Dan, on the other hand, Jeff, you can see Dan's face. Look, look at that. He's a Tottenham fan. So he's happy as Larry. And we're yes. top of the league. I just thought I'd throw it in there. <laughs> I'm learning. Well, last time I was over, uh, not the last time, the time before, I think Mark Daly uh, and Elliot, my friend Elliot Hurst, yeah. we went to a cricket match. And I got to tell you, that was unbelievable experience. I think oh, it was yeah. just a, uh, you know, <clears throat> it was a lower level uh, cricket <clears throat> match. I say lower level. I mean, I, I assume it wasn't like the national level, but no. there must have been 15, 20,000 fans there. 
Uh, it was like a social occasion. It was an amazing experience. So I'm trying. Uh, we, I'm trying to think. If drink it earlier, cricket. Yeah, if it was earlier, it would have been the Oval. That was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's um, they are. They're absolutely they're, they're they're great experience. But yet again, unfortunately, from a British perspective, quite often they're just horribly hard drinking experiences. But they are like all day drinking. Social. <laughs> they they are. We did some of that. Social. We did. <laughs> yeah, <partake. laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> it was it was a great experience, though. I mean, it's just I, I'm fascinated by all that. What the next time I come over, though, I'm a, growing up in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm a big horse racing fan. You know, Kentucky Derby. Uh, is big. I, I want to go. I would love to go over and go to Ascot, you know, and yeah. experience that, uh, you know, firsthand. That's that's on my mm. bucket list. Yeah, I think gonna, actually, um, I was going. I was going. This allows Dan to segue into another question. Jeff, you're you're lining well, no, them up for Dan. You know, well, Jeff, you say line them up. So when uh, so for the Titans game, Mark actually came over to my house and we watched the, the game together. We was chatting because I think you'd done the call with the UK guys a couple of yeah. nights or weeks before. And he was saying that um, one of the things you'd actually quite like to do is go around and see different race meets and maybe write about them. Because obviously being from Kentucky, the, the Derby and things like that, is that something you'd you'd like to do? Write a book around horse, horse race meets and things like that? Yeah, I've always thought it would be kind of interesting to see how horse racing, it's such a global sport. How What's the culture like, say, in Hong Kong for racing yeah. or yeah. Argentina? How's it different? Obviously, Ascot's kind of the, you know, seems like the ultimate kind of classy event, you know, but what's it like in France compared to America? I'm just kind of fascinated by global sports. You know, I, that's kind of the prism I look at when I when I cover what I do. Um, I try to take a bigger picture approach. And uh, but I can tell you, look, we're wrapping up a book right now, Steve Gleason and I and uh I need a, I need a couple of years break, guys, before I tackle another book. <laughs> no, no, no. Those, those books will they'll take take some years off your life. Yeah. So I've and actually that, um, before we sorry, I was going to say before we go go there, I've actually got two of your books yeah. right here with me. <laughs> that I've I actually, love it. It's awesome. Hey. I wouldn't just say to anyone who's a relatively new Saints fan in the UK, this book here. Uh, Tales from the Sideline, I think it's a really good book mm. just for you to get a good understanding of some of the history. I know you wrote it with John Hendricks, who we're a big fan of. There's some really, it's only short sections, but really good for a new fan to just get some concept of the history of the team and the journey the team's yeah. been on. This was the first Saints book I ever bought. Um, and then this one, Jeff, <laughs> which I'm rereading, <laughs> which is actually. I've made so many notes on this. When you reread this book, Jeff, and, and play it back up against things that are happening now, there's so many things that make you appreciate how good Sean and Drew were. Um, even like I, I was rereading tonight and I got to the bit where you talk about the Traquan Smith touchdown for the passing yards record. Yeah. And it's quite pertinent because it is a fade route where Traquan was supposed to just be a distraction mm -hmm. for either um, Cameron Meredith or... Um, I can't remember, was it Austin Carr or uh, Josh Hill or something like that? And that's the same play from the other exactly. night against the, yeah. the the Jags. And it's like, and when you read it, and you know, I've got a quote here when you like the players are saying, no one ever expects that ball to go to that receiver. They're the fourth read. And it's so, like, I would encourage anyone to read this now because you just get an appreciation for what Sean and Drew were like. And really, and um, you know, it's, it's so like reading it again now so much more resonates with me than when I read it the first time. 
Um, so yeah, definitely recommend anyone to go out and, and read that now because mm. if you haven't read it, you'll you'll look at it and go, wow, like there's so much in there that's really quite topical uh, to where yeah. we are now. The contrast between the two two things. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, just, Jeff, that was just, a plug from me for you. Well, I, I appreciate <laughs> just, it, just, Dan. Well, well, you're right. I, I thought about that when when I watched that um, play the other night between you know Carr and and Olave because I know what Olave was doing. He was he's running basically a clear out route. He's not expecting the ball. Yeah. Now he needs the to run it out. So it, Derek's they? right. Really, no one's right in that in in that situation. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it, it, it was that was what Traquan Smith was running, and that shows you the brilliance of Drew Brees because he could just and, and I've, I've I've talked to him about this before. You know, he 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 can he's seen so many defenses in his life and seen so many you know alignments that he the way he described it to me was he said it's like you come into your living room every night you know where the furniture is all at, right? So if someone that day moved the couch just about two feet to the right and you came in, you'd know it was a little off. Mm. That's the way he would see defenses, but he'd see it like that, right? So he just knew right away that that corner was in the wrong spot and it just it split second, almost muscle memory, he fired it uh, to Traquan Smith, but it was it's all that years and years of experience for yeah, him yeah. to be able to recognize it immediately. Mm. Just, just a very quick one on my on my part, Jeff. About like I've also got the book, but I, I just like <laughs> to say that that I've got a I've got a little personal message on there from you because my at the time my eight seventeen I think he was my seventeen year old son got in contact with you and um, asked for a signed copy for me. So that you know that's, that's awesome. he was yeah seventeen years of age and he was doing for his doing that for his dad. So. Yeah, I've also got that book. Yeah, yeah. So well, that that and so speaking to your point earlier, Mike, about how have I seen it grow? That's a good good prism, I would say, is yeah. How many books I ended up mailing overseas mm. at, when Peyton and Breeze came out? I bet I, I bet I sent at least two hundred books, you know, at different times over the two yeah. year period. So many people interested uh, in the Peyton and Breeze story. So that to me reflects just the the interest level of, of Saints and fans. Overseas. Yeah, yeah. Just on the on the internet, still sort of touching on the international sort of scene. Just because um, obviously we know that with Elliot and Mark and I think James at times as well. You, you sort of obviously you built up a relationship with with UK fans. And ben. How, how did you and Ben and as Ben? Well. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So how how did that happen? Uh, how did that all sort of manifest itself? Uh, because we know all the guys, obviously, mm -hmm. like, you know, obviously, as Dan was saying, Mark was over at his a couple of weeks ago. Um, we we were at the game in London with Ben two weeks ago, weren't we? So, we, yet again, it's all a collective group over here. So we all sort of, we're all sort of uh, friends. But how did that all start? Uh, we have to credit Elliot. I mean, Elliot. All right. Elliot and Mark both came to our first, uh, I think we did a fan meetup in 2008, uh, if I remember correctly, it might've been the, the second one though. I'm tr trying to remember. It would have been the second London game. So it wouldn't have been 2000, it would have been 2018, I guess. When we were mm. over there. We did a um, a fan meetup and basically had the entire local media core there. Jim Henderson, Juan Kincaid. I can't remember if Deuce came. I think Deuce might've come. Uh, basically we, we found a bar, a pub over there and just said, hey, we're all going to be there. We'll answer questions, kind of kind of like what we did last time. Yeah. Uh, and Elliot came along with Mark and Lisa. And I remember Elliot, as you all know, he's not shy. 
And no. after we got done, we were all starving. I remember there was no food at the pub we were where we had the event, and we were we were asking where can we go get some food at this late juncture. And Elliot knew, and he of course is such a friendly person, went out of his way to to kind of lead us to a, a a local restaurant, just kind of hung out with us, and we just kind of stayed in touch after that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, gotta get credit right. to Elliot. Uh, you know exactly. He, Generous and flamboyant are Elliot. <laughs> yes, very much. And he had all these connections to New Orleans, and you know, yeah, it was very yeah. Easy. He's got he's got family connections, hasn't he, in the area as well? Yeah. So yeah, that, that's so. I treasure I treasure all all the fans that I've met yeah. in London. It's just such a uh, you know everyone's so nice and so uh, you know friendly over there, and uh, you know I just I just think it's a unique situation with the Saints have played over there three times now, and I, I hope. They go back, you know, we remember last year, you might remember there was a lot of rumors that the saints were going to play in Germany. Remember that? I, I think someone even reported yep. it. I think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I don't have anything concrete, but I do think they're high on the list here. Maybe next year or the year after, yeah. I don't think the team officials wanted to make a European trip again, back to back years, yeah. but I expect the NFL is going to have the saints over there very soon. Yeah, when when the rumors were were flying around, I booked hotels for both of the NFL games in Germany. Um, obviously, on a whereby I could cancel them without any sure. cost to me. But we're even, we're, and that's yet again, that's fandom, isn't it? The moment you hear there's a rumor, you're like, right, I need to be there. So I was booking hotels in. I think it was Frankfurt, and no, I think they were both Frankfurt. Yeah, so for both weekends. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's fandom. That's what we do. It's smart. Um, but it's also smart. Yeah. You save, save yeah. on the rate, right? It's, I and can I, tell you but, this. One of the things we do is reporters, when the NFL schedule comes out every year, we try to get it earlier. Often often yeah. we get it early. So we actually have the schedule before it's announced. And we're able, as reporters, to go book our hotel rooms yeah. in the markets. Because, <laughs> as you know, Green Bay, Wisconsin, when they have a home Packers game, those rates go through the roof. Oh, yeah. They're able to get mm. out ahead of that and save some money that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jeff, Jeff, I'm mindful of time. We've had you on for yeah. uh, over 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> I didn't I'm even not, know we didn't even ask you be Didn't even ask you before how much time you had available. So I don't want to uh, <laughs> push our luck if you've, if you've got uh, somewhere to be in bits to to do so please let us know if you need to yeah look you got a few more minutes i'm going to dinner tonight with a former colleague over at my fa so the next time you guys come to new orleans we we've got to get together and go to clancy's it's it's my neighborhood restaurant it it's i, I know mark and lisa have been there with me it's uh I, I i'm just giving a shameless plug to the restaurant but it's my favorite restaurant in the city it's in the middle of a residential neighborhood my neighborhood and uh it's just an amazing place to eat so i'm going to be going there a little a little bit later but I want to get yeah. my run in at Ottoman Park before that. So let's let's knock it out yeah. in the next ten minutes. Just 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 on that on that, based on the fact that cool. obviously that you know we have to be aware of your your time, Jeff. Um, let's we need to touch on on the book that you've sort of just completed because obviously for a lot of Saints fans, you know, uh, and I'm sure most people know that it's a book that you've written with Steve Gleason, who obviously is in the whether it be one. You know, some people actually there's is one and two. Whether Stephen Rebirth is the biggest moment in Saints history, or whether it is the Super Bowl, and I think it's a fair argument for for many different reasons. How did that all come about? Um, how did that sort? Because obviously, I, I 
we, we were showing the the your Peyton and Breeze book, and obviously Steve wrote the foreword in there. So you've obviously known Steve for a, a period of time. So how did it all come about, Jeff? Well, our our time in New Orleans basically is coincided. I mean, my first year covering the Saints was 2000. That's when Steve joined the team. Uh, mm -hmm. He joined the team kind of late in that <laughs> season as a special teams kind of uh, kind of the JT Gray of that era. Yeah. And uh, Steve was, uh, you know, one of the most interesting players. I tell people all the time, I mean, he might be the most interesting player I've ever covered. I mean, he was just a fascinating guy. It was from the Pacific North uh, Northwest, but uh, you know, he was a very smart guy, eccentric, got New Orleans. You know, we talked earlier about either you get it or you don't. Well, yeah. Steve was one of the first players I can remember that lived in the city. Most of the players either lived in the suburbs or the gated communities out in the golf courses. Steve lived right in the heart, dove right into the culture, wanted to explore the city. And so he was just a fascinating guy. And we, we became friends after he retired and, and really, you know, he married Michelle Gleason or Michelle Verisco, uh, and, you know, married a new Orleans girl. So once you do that, you're, you're stuck here. You're not, you're, not, you're never going to leave. <laughs> you might leave for a little while, but you're going to boomerang back. I always say, yeah, there's no way you're going full time, but, uh, Michelle has this amazing family that I got to know. And so I just became friends with them and, Steve's story is just, it's the most extraordinary story I've ever come yeah. across. Hmm. Not only his playing career, but just, you just have to know him. I mean, this is a guy, you know, we, when we tell these stories in the book, cause it's his, it's his life story. It's not just hmm. his story with the journey that he's on right now with ALS. It's, it's his whole life story. And, you know, he's a tremendous athlete. You know, he always gives, gives me grief because he feels like we shortchange him as a as an athlete and try to sell him as this counterculture like you know yeah. uh, you know guru and uh, but I mean he the guy started as a a sophomore at, at Washington State University and played major uh, you know played a starting outfielder on the baseball team he started in both sports at a high level uh, and still holds a number of records in baseball so this guy was a tremendous athlete but what what attracted me to him was this his natural uh you know interest and curiosity in life i mean he would travel the world in the off season so every year he'd come back to training camp we'd visit with him where did you go you'd go to chile or new zealand or you know all over the world surfing or hiking doing all these things he just had a natural kind of zest for life and was one of those guys that people gravitated to that's why he became a captain and so when when he had contracted ALS, of course. I, I obviously was, uh, you know, early on in that uh, journey that he was on and became really close friends with, uh, you know, everyone in the Team Gleason organization. And we've always kind of wanted to do a book. I've talked to him about it before, but we really need, kind of needed to give it some time. I mean, we actually originally tried to do a book back two or three years after he had been diagnosed. He got diagnosed January 5th. 2011 but really it, it wasn't the right time because he hasn't learned he hasn't gained the perspective that he has now on the journey that he and michelle and his whole family are on uh so that's why it's the right time and we were really fortunate to get a deal with knopf publishing which is one of the most prestigious publishing firms in the world uh they got the story right away they understood it they understood its uniqueness how extraordinary the story is 
And it's really a story about life. It's not a story about the disease. It's not a story about football. It's, it's kind of a, a life story of how you deal with adversity, how you deal with challenges in life, and how you make the most of whatever circumstances you have come your way. And I can't think of anybody, anybody that's faced as extraordinary a challenge as Steve Gleason. And the way he still has this incredible outlook on life uh, you know, I'm just grateful and honored to have been a part of it. Uh, you know, I feel touched that we were all together working on this project together because I've learned so much. It's really changed my life. And I think anyone that reads this book, it, it'll change your life. It'll give you perspective on, hey, you know what? I don't I, I don't think you know, anything's insurmountable that comes, mm. comes at me because what Steve goes through every day just to live his life, to be there for his two children and for Mich- Michelle and also for everyone in Team Gleason, uh, you know, there's a reason that Drew Brees is inspired and Barack mm. Obama is inspired and yeah. Hugh Jackman and Bill Gates, all these people, Roger Goodell, they're all in Steve Gleason's orbit. And yeah. they're, they're the highest achievers in their professions. Uh, you know, it speaks to Steve's amazing story. I um, I watched the Gleason documentary on a flight. I made the mistake of watching it for the first time on a flight. I sobbed. Um, watching it yeah. and I'm not ashamed to say that mm-hmm. say that and I've also several times I've said that Steve Gleason is genuinely one of my heroes just because the, the yeah the way he like you said um Jeff the way he approaches his life and the positivity he puts out it's just like it's, it's in, it should be inspirational for anyone um and I, I yeah. personally can't wait to read read the book when it comes out um, no. in April next year yeah, I, I t- there's one story I'll tell one real, real story, real quick story. This would sum up Steve, I, I think, better than anything. This was back in his playing days. Like I said, he would go on these these trips, right? So he goes to New Zealand by himself to surf. His brother was a big surfer, still is. Cal, Cal is his brother, and Cal taught Steve to surf. So Steve started to surf on his own. He went to New Zealand, so he takes the surfboard, you know, flies it over, and he realizes, you know. Uh, you know, New Zealand's a big, pretty big country. So most people would rent a car, like most normal people would rent a car so they could travel around and surf at the different spots that you want to go to. Well, that's not the way Gleason rolls. That's not his method of operation. (laughs) Instead, he gets off the plane and just immediately starts going in bars and restaurants around the airport and asking people, he doesn't know anybody, right? He's first time he's ever been to New Zealand. He just starts asking people, is anyone selling a car? Anybody selling a car? Goes into four or five. And this is a professional athlete, right? He's got enough money to rent a car, but he's very thrifty and frugal. And he finally goes into a bar, like the fifth place he goes into, and a, a lady working behind the bar goes, yeah, actually, I've got a station wagon that I'm trying to unload for like a thousand whatever it is in New Zealand yeah. currency. And he test drives it, buys this jalopy of a – station wagon so he can put his surfboard up on top and drives it for a month all over New Zealand, surfs, and then sells it again, puts an ad in the local paper, sells it to get his money back, and catches a flight back home. Who does that? I'll tell you what, Jeff, that's why why that man is building a house on the lake because he looks after (laughs) his money in the way he does. Um, Jeff, thank you for that. That, that, I mean, what a great, great little story for us to hear at the end of the pod. And, um, yeah, again, I just like to say, uh, 
thank you very much for for coming on and thank you for for being so open and honest about about your life and career so i really appreciate jeff no it was my pleasure i really enjoyed it and we could have gone on for another hour or so but uh i definitely have a an appointment to make but we'll do it again soon and hopefully yeah. we do it maybe later in the year or something the team's on a big run getting in the playoffs and uh We'll be under better circumstances. Merrier times, yeah. Yes, that'd be great. Appreciate you, yeah. Jeff. Really, thank you so much yeah. for coming on and talking to us. Thanks, mate. Sure. Thanks, Appreciate guys. You. Cheers, Cheers. Jeff. Bye-bye. I really enjoyed that, Dan. Thanks to, to yeah, Jeff well. for coming on the pod. Um, you know, I think he was honest and um, gave us insight. And obviously, you know, at the back end there spoke about Steve Gleason, the autobiography that he's doing, you know, many, you know, virtually every Saints fans hero. He's doing an autobiography with him. I thought that was a, that was a great chat. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I think Jeff was, was honest with us. Um, you know, I brought up some of the, Tetchy subjects, tetchy subjects. You know that some of the some of the people levy him, and I think he answered it in a very honest way, in a way that people can understand. Um, yeah. I, I mentioned that Bantley Gateway, and people go, "Oh, he doesn't even like New Orleans." I think if you listen to that, yeah, you'll, you'll see that he absolutely loves loves the city and loves yeah. living in the city. And I know, think, I think um, that hopefully that will allay yeah. some of those some of those accusations people make against him. Because I think I've said before when I met him in London genuinely a really nice guy really yeah. really really nice guy and i really enjoy talking to him um but also the yeah. the thing there is that you know also and he, he did i don't think he specifically said it but he sort of touched on it he's not a saints fan he's a, a oh. reporter that happened to come to the region then came to the city loved the city and has been there for 20 odd years and 20, and you're right four years yeah, yeah, you're right. There, it's like you don't stay somewhere twenty four years if you don't like it. No, and and you know that's that you know the accusations that get thrown at Jeff. One of them is actually he doesn't like the city, but I think if you if you listen to that, I think you realise that he yeah. he really does love the city, not just likes it. So, which is great. Yeah. And t talking well, about city, can... I was yeah. going to say, hopefully we can have what... one again. But yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, talking about City, we're heading off soon, aren't we, my friend? We're over there next oh, week. Yeah, let me just have a look at my my <laughs> generic my generic travel app, because I don't want anyone yeah. to know who I'm... Well, I'm flying Virgin. I always fly Virgin. Um, let me see how long I've, how long I've got. Uh, right, it's a great I, podcast. This is looking at my phone. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's, it's beautiful podcasting, mate, but you carry on looking at your phone. Because funnily enough, like as I four talk, days until I can check in for my flight. Well, I'm four I'm days. Give you, I'm going to give you an update. It's two days until I can check in. Oh well, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um, for those who don't know, I I love going to New Orleans and I love going uh, with friends. But there is also a period of time where I have to have a period of time where I've just got. New Orleans to myself because a couple of reasons, especially this year, because I think I'm trying to think now, is it eight, eight of us going over from the UK? Was it, is it eight? Uh, it's myself. It's six on six on that flight. That BA flight. Well, it's myself, you, uh, young Dan, Alex and Dan, Chaz, Alex, Steve, 
Miguel or Mike and Aaron. So it's eight. Yeah. So there's eight of us going over. Yeah. Um, everybody is significantly younger than myself. Um, so I, you know, we've spoken about it before. Dan said many, many a time on this pod that he knows where he's going to find me. And I'm going over a couple of days early because one, I'm getting a tattoo with Jay, Jay Frost. Yes. So I'm getting that. Guess, I'm getting previous that. Previous guest on the show. Previous guest yeah, on the I'm show. Getting that on the Thursday. And then I'm going to the Pelicans game and we're going in apparently into a suite where it is free food and free drink. I'm the only Brit there. Saint, so Saints block party. I'm gonna yep, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna muller that. Saints block party gathering at the Pelicans game. We've got a suite, free food, free drink, and there's one Brit there. Hey. <laughs> Fucking great. That's me. That's all right, because I land that day and I'm meeting yeah. Eric and we're going to that dog and we're going to gorge ourselves on sausage. Yeah. Yo. <laughs> For those that don't know, that dog is a restaurant and not some sort of parlour. Um, I just thought I'd... Hey, it's at, that end of, uh, it's at the, the other end of Bourbon Street, that dog. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, you, you're going to the one in Mesaline. Uh, Mesaline? Yeah, no, no I'm going to get... I already know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a the alligator sausage uh, with uh, etouffee and crumbled bacon. Nice. Actually, I say that. They've got a new spicy dog that I've I've seen them advertising that I might try. And I'm obviously going to get a pint of juice for because... Of course. Of I course. have to. Although Eric has got some other gnarly barley beers um, he's picked up for us to to, to sample, which will be nice. Nice. But well, I, I, I am I'm super, 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 super excited. So so when you trip. arrive, when you arrive on the Thursday, I know some of the other other UK guys arri- arrive roughly around about the same time, but they're flying direct, so they're going to have to go through passport control. So you're going to be in the city a little bit earlier um some of them said they may try and make it out to to join you and eric um are you is that it for you are you then not coming out on the thursday with everyone or well uh, you say that it's uh it's only five hours time difference rather than six and believe me that hour makes a big difference yeah fair enough fair enough yeah. Well, my, I, I was out with um, I was out with my wife today, and she was like, "Right, obviously, when you get there Tuesday, what are you doing?" I said, "Right, I, I, same as you, I've I've got a connecting flight, so I arrive in the I arrive at the airport just before seven, so I'm hoping to be at my hotel by around about eight o'clock, and then I'm gonna come out, and I'm gonna go and get some food, and I'm not gonna go for anything too exotic. I'm gonna go to and I'm trying to remember, is it Copper Monkey? Do you remember where me, you and Adam what, went? On, yeah, the place that's, uh, is it on Comte? Yeah, it's yeah, between just, Bourbon and, yeah. uh, Bourbon gonna, and uh, Royal. I'm going to grab some food there. And then it the goes. Red up. beans are good. Red beans are yeah. pretty good. I'm going to go up to the Aaron Rose, have two pints of Guinness. Then I'm going to go to the Bourbon New Orleans Hotel and I'm going to have an old fashioned. Then I'm gonna go. I'll probably then go to Frenchman and just sit there with a bourbon with ice or a bourbon on the rocks. Every time I go over there, I keep forgetting that I'm an American. I say, "Can I have a bourbon with ice?" And they look at me like I'm a freak. Do they say so there's ice to... in the urinal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, blue ice. Um, 
so yeah so i'll have berber and then yeah listen to a bit of music and then yeah i'll be i'll be good that's my that's my tuesday but it's also it's halloween and funnily enough we, we me and my me and my wife we're having a halloween get together on um sunday and she's forced me to get a costume and actually i'm really really excited about my costume and then she said why don't you take it with you and just go out when you get there on the tuesday because it's actually halloween night on the tuesday and she said why don't you wear that costume at it some will point be the most boring costume in the whole of new orleans probably because oh no it will oh no no, no 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 i actually I, yeah, I actually don't think it, I don't think it will be, but the fact that I'm in the city on my own and if, if I, I don't want to give the costume away because I'll put pictures up on our, our Twitter page when I'm in it, but I'm probably not taking it with, with me because I can't walk around the city in this costume because I will just get picked on by everyone. I can guarantee your arseless spending. (laughs) No, but that's you, mate, with your pajamas from Christmas two years ago. Just remember that, mate. Oh, oh, well, I don't care. Yeah, I I know you you are. Anyway, so that, like, we get there, like, obviously, we're getting there separate times, but on the Thursdays, when all the guys come in from the UK, obviously, you're going that dog with Eric, they may join you. Well, then, once I've been to the Pelicans game, I'll. Because I'm getting a tattoo that day, I'll probably have to go back to the hotel after the Pelicans game just to do a little bit of a remedial work on the tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then I'll come out and meet you. But we've then got the Saturday afternoon where I've been brunch with the Saints block party gang. You miss, yeah, you miss Friday, but yeah, Saturday we're going going to have brunch. I I didn't, I didn't want to give it away, but you know, no, we don't got to give it away. We've got all some right, bits planned. All right. Can't so we're having dinner. Yet. Are you talking about dinner on Friday night? We've got a few things we want to do. We're having dinner on Friday night of a very, very, very yeah. special yeah, birthday. Yeah, we're, we're probably having drinks or coffee during the day with some other special people, aren't we? Yeah. Just just um, go back and listen to the episodes. You'll get a clue. Yeah. Beautiful man. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Beautiful man for um, and his wife. So Friday, Friday is going to be, be a busy day. Um, yeah, Saturday but, we got brunch. Yeah, then we're gonna go and watch some college football with the Brits in a bar, get the full yeah. experience. Then we got the Saints block party um, get together in the evening. I'm not sure if the location's been published published yet, so I'll keep that. No, still, we, we but it is a good venue. Say. I like it. Nice place. But also, Bama LSU on, while we're there, exactly. Bama LSU's at, at the same point. So we'll do that, and then without a doubt, we'll do that, and then we'll, I think, as a collective, probably hit the streets and go out for a few drinks afterwards. I say as a collective, I probably mean just the UK guys, because <laughs> yeah. our, our American cousins, after being in a bar for three or four hours, might might want to go home. Um, They'll be like, look at these degenerates going at it, and we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> giggity, but also, giggity, giggity. <laughs> Bearing in mind that two of the people that are coming with us have never been to the city, so I think they probably want to get the full, full experience of the city for the first time they're over there. So you take them Larry Flint's, yeah? (laughs) 
Daniel, you know I don't do that. You, sort you of didn't shit. say no. You didn't say no. I, Daniel, you, you, oh. I don't do that sort of shit. That's not my cup of tea. Okay, Alex. Um, Alex will take them to Alex. Alex. No, because we're more. <laughs> you and I are. More, you and I are more corner pocket guys, aren't we? That's, that's <laughs> yes, we are. And there is nothing wrong with the corner pocket. No, it's not. I went, like it. Yeah. It's a nice bar. Big, exactly. big, big bar. Plenty of room to dance. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. Me and you so, going in a couple of old bears. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and then obviously Sunday the game. Um, yeah, you know we spoke to Jeff about Thanks it. I, me. I, I do agree. I do agree with Jeff. I, I, you know, obviously we're we're hearing from him, and I'm sure we'll probably hear from other people who are on the beat about the fact that what was going on in the locker room was uh, pretty good, and we should feel confident about what was being said, but. You know, saying saying shit and doing shit are two completely different things. So, hey, look, let's just hope that they come out. They come out of the traps fast. They can, if they can get a lead, that'd be brilliant because I really do worry about us going behind again. Because I think, apart from deflating confidence and also the struggles we've had on offense, anyway, get a start and build your confidence, boys. That's what I'm mm. saying to you. Come on, let's do it. Well, we're gonna victory formation all day long yeah all you're going to got to put my bets on before i get out there as well because i can't bet <laughs> yeah 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 i'm right, betting okay. jimmy graham uh, touchdown because i've never seen jimmy graham score a touchdown in person so it's going to happen right so that's that jimmy, is that good jimmy, that's good to be jimmy, a big my bet. boy jimmy is going in jimmy is going in there you go that's my that's my point <laughs> Dunking on the goalposts. Just... There we go. All right. So, of all the stuff that's happening when we're over there, what's the thing that you're most excited about? Oh, game of. I think game. It's got to be the game. Not meeting all our buddies, you know, Adam, Ryan, Eric, G. Um, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Dash. Um, yeah. Just everyone. Um, all the guys. London. Uh, yeah. Sherm. Um, Elise, hopefully. Um, all those yeah. guys uh, just cannot wait to see them give big hugs and say, I fucking love you guys. Um, yeah. But there, yeah. there's a, like, and yet again, same for me. So, you know, we, we talk about it. People like Sherm, I've never met. I know obviously for you. Oh, like, Sherm's a fucking blast. Sherm is a blast. But you've he, never he, met. We, uh, Sorry, he mate, kept Nick entertained at brunch in Malibu yeah. and she was cracking up. Uh, mm. White Wealth, looking forward to seeing White Wealth again. <laughs> Great guy, Chris. Yeah, uh, but how also, can I forget, like... how can I forget my guy, JT? G. Joey Plague. No. Joey Plague. I've said G. Yeah, yeah. Joey no, Plague. Did you? All oh. oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Because, yeah. Did right. G, yeah. Joey Plague, hey, man who drove three hours and me in New York. Oh. Pennsylvanian Prince. The Savant yeah. of Scranton. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be a good time. It's I'm oh, it's super amazing. excited about it. And um, oh, we got the stickers. And... If anyone sees us, we've got stickers. Yeah, Saint City and me stickers. You see us, come and say hi. We'll give you a sticker. If not, we're going you... all over the carsies. Exactly. If you don't see us, just go into any toilet or restroom or bathroom in the city, and you'll find a, a sticker. Um, yeah, because literally that's all me and Dad are going to do. Is just walk into toilets. We're not actually going to have a drink in the bar. We're just going to go into toilets and sit there for a while. Is that right, Dan? Just put a, put a stamp down. 
<laughs> sent down. <laughs> yeah. Maybe on that note, we should leave it. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's probably not a bad yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, it's, and also... I, it's, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, it's... Um, I, I was going to say, it's just going to be a great time. I can't wait. And as I, I think I've said previously on the pod, I'm so excited about going, but I'm actually really excited about Dan and Charlie getting over for the first time. The other guys that the other guys that we're going with have all been there before, but Dan and Charlie haven't, and myself and Dan are creating a New Orleans drinking bingo card, which which should be good. Uh, I think. Any any, probably... any uh, surprises on there? Anything interesting? No. No, we'll all leave the it. We'll, all the, all the classics are on there. Couple of um, couple of fruity <laughs> ones that that have come up, which I think you probably told me to maybe consider putting on. Um, and actually, we had a conversation before we came on air tonight, and you were telling me to put what on Dan. Uh, no, I said it should be a bonus drink. So once he's done yeah. his hand grenade, he gets bonus points if he does that fucking shark drink they've got in there straight <laughs> after. <laughs> and so we've Everclear and it Everclear and whatever they put the shark in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like going yeah. tropical island. <laughs> Do you know what? One of my favourite memes, and it comes from like neutral grounds or something like that, was the um one with the baby being born. It's like four pictures, and it says, "Please let me be born somewhere tropical. Please let me be born tro- somewhere tropical." And he comes, and goes, "Where am I?" And they're like, "Tropical Idol." We <laughs> 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 got a fucking hand grenade, and the baby. It's one of those babies where it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just, I think I on that. Note, I, I think on that note, it's probably a good, good, good time to end it, my friend. Yeah. So th- this is us done for a couple of weeks. When we come back, yeah. hopefully we'll have either Dan or Chaz on. It will be the equivalent of a live reaction podcast. We will yeah. talk to you about and uh, talk to them all about everything they've loved about their first experience in New Orleans. Hopefully, if you're a listener, you'll be able to live it through them with fresh eyes. And you know, as our friend Corey said to us when. We went to New Orleans in April and he first like, following us, he said, yo, it was you get an, a new appreciation for your hometown or the city because you see things through these people for, for, vicariously, vicariously, vicariously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm. you live it through them and you go, actually, this is this is I live somewhere amazing or I live near somewhere yeah. amazing. Um, and these guys are reaffirming that for me. So we'll be back in a few weeks. Yeah, don't miss us. Because we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a good time. And thank you for... If you want to know what we're doing, check our Twitter, check our... uh, Insta. TikTok. TikTok. Insta. Old men. Old men using TikTok. Old men using TikTok. Old men using TikTok. (laughs) Bye.